for reading those long passages. These three chapters go together. Um, they're a really important part of the story, so I asked the gentleman to read these long portions of Scripture so that we can understand this story in its context. And remember, this is a story that started back in Genesis 37, where Joseph had a dream. And remember, his dream was that his brothers would bow before him. How did that go for him? His brothers threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery. And so we're fast-forwarding the story a little bit. A lot has happened. So this, this dream that he had, and now we find him in a place, the second most powerful man on the earth at this time. God had brought him low and had raised him up, which points us to the Lord Jesus. It was really helpful several years ago when I started to understand that ultimately the Bible is all about Jesus. And as a kid, I probably would have said that because that was a Sunday school answer, but I wouldn't have had a Bible verse to back it up. Listen to what the Lord Jesus says in the Gospel of John. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they, the scriptures, that bear witness about me. Our passage today in all of Genesis bears witness to the Lord Jesus. It's not always clear. I think in this passage there's one place it's super clear, which I'm really looking forward to getting to that. Uh, but we have some stuff to weed through first. Um, and as always, I need God's help to rightly communicate His Word and the power of the Spirit, and you need God's help to stay awake in this nice, cool, air-conditioned room. So let's pray. God, I thank you that I don't have to stand here sharing my opinion on matters about you and about the Lord Jesus and the need of humanity for the God of the Bible. You have revealed this to you, to us in your word. And so God, make it more clear to us. For any of my friends in this room that have may not come to saving faith, Lord, today, would you awaken their hearts. Lord, I pray that all of us would leave having a greater love for the Lord Jesus. God, we thank you that we have the opportunity and privilege to gather as your people. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified, that we would be changed, and that we would leave this place greater empowered by the mission to make disciples of all nations. Oh God, would you do this for your good pleasure, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So remember, back in Genesis 37, Joseph had a dream that his brothers would bow before him. They understandably got ticked off, threw him in a well, and sold him into slavery. God raised him up, brought him into Potiphar's home, where God was with him. God blessed him. Potiphar's home was blessed. And Mrs. Potiphar made a false accusation against him. She said that Joseph had come on to her, which was not true. He was falsely accused and he was thrown in the pit. For years he was in the pit. God gave him the ability to interpret dreams. And remember, he interpreted two dreams that came true. One from the chief cupbearer and one from the baker. The baker was executed. The chief cupbearer was raised up. And the scripture says the chief cupbearer forgot about him. Joseph was still in prison. Years later, Pharaoh had a dream and he couldn't understand it. And the chief cupbearer remembered. There was this guy, this young Hebrew named Joseph, and he was able to interpret dreams. So Pharaoh called for him 
And Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream, telling Pharaoh there would be a great, great famine in the land. God again raised Joseph up. He had brought him low to a pit, but raised him up. And God would use Joseph to save many, many lives in this famine. And he would use this bad situation to reunite a family. And now in our passage, we see that Jacob, Joseph's dad, who thinks he's dead, is sending his 10 brothers to go get grain in Egypt. But he didn't send Benjamin in fear that he would lose his son like he had lost Joseph years previous. Joseph was the governor of the land and he was distributing food. And it was here where his brothers showed up. Joseph recognized the brothers. The brothers did not recognize him. Joseph sees his dream come to fruition. Joseph, in a sense, was like a prophet. And the brothers bow before him as the dream stated. Again, they don't know this is Joseph. Joseph suggests that they're spies, and the brothers continue to claim their innocence. It is revealed there is another brother, Benjamin, which Joseph has not yet met. For three days he puts these brothers in custody. He lets the three out, and he tests the brothers by saying, I will keep one of you. You go get Benjamin, bring him back, so that I know that you are telling the truth and not spying on the land. Simeon stays. The brothers go back. And it's interesting. One of the brothers starts, Reuben starts talking about what they had done to Joseph. And Joseph overhears. He says, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? Referring to their sin against Joseph. Joseph heard them and was moved to compassion. He was brought to tears. Imagine this family reunion where he's starting to see his brothers change before his eyes and take responsibility for the way in which they had sinned against and abused their little brother. Can you imagine how many years Joseph had been thinking about this? And now he sees his brothers before him and they are starting to confess their sin. There seems to be humility. There seems to be confession, even repentance among this family. And this is evidenced in the way they are thinking about others and regretting their treatment of Joseph, a desire to change. As they head back, they realize the money is still in their bag and fear the consequences of what would happen if the Pharaoh or Joseph found out that the money they brought to buy the grain was in their sack. They return to their father and tell him everything that happened. Jacob says, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph and now Simeon had been taken away from this father. And they are suggesting that we take Benjamin back. And you can imagine as a father, he's like, no way. I've already lost two sons, and now you're advocating that we take Benjamin? And Jacob says, my son shall not go with you. In Genesis 43, we, we read the famine was severe in the land. And so Jacob said, go again and buy food. And Judah reminds Jacob of what Pharaoh's assistant, his brother, who he doesn't know who he is, said the only way is to bring back Benjamin. The way in which your innocence will be proved and the way in which you will receive Simeon back and the way in which you will receive more food is to bring Benjamin back. Of course, this is a struggle 
for Jacob, but he finally allows Benjamin to go. Joseph sees Benjamin as they arrive and he calls for a feast. The men feared what would happen to them. Remember, they're thinking, oh great, we've got caught for stealing this money and now we are going to be dealt with harshly. Joseph, being such a man of God, says to these brothers, after all they've done to him, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. Joseph continues to give God the glory and continues to show signs of compassion where naturally it would be signs of vindictive spirit and bitterness. The brothers again bow to Joseph. He's inquiring about their father. Joseph asked about Benjamin and was moved again to compassion. He left their presence and he wept. Imagine the scene. Joseph's been estranged from his family forever. He finds out he has a little brother and he sees his little brother's face. And he just is undone. He's moved to compassion. We, we hate trials. We hate famines, whatever the famine looks like. But God is accomplishing good through a difficult situation. He's carrying out his redemptive purposes and he's reuniting a family. Joseph's emotions cannot be contained. The food is served. The Hebrews and the Egyptians don't eat together because of their culture. Joseph eats in another room while Benjamin is served five times as much as the others. And Joseph continues to show his godly character, no signs of bitterness, but a continued trust in God and showing kindness to those who have sinned against them. See, that's what, when we become captivated by grace, bitterness, resentment is diminished because we realize the grace that we receive is God's unmerited favor and we have no right to ever harbor ill against even those who have sinned against us so greatly. Joseph understood this. He didn't understand all of what was happening, but God was using this fam famine to restore the family and accomplish his purposes. There's probably no one in this room that dislikes trials more than me. But the scripture is very clear that trials are a good thing, accomplishing God's good purposes in our life and in his kingdom. But it is difficult. But Joseph continued to keep his mind set on the covenant-keeping sovereign God who had been with him all through these trials. He had brought him low and raised him up. And now in Genesis 44, so this is referring to Joseph, then he commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, that would be Benjamin, with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph had told him. As soon as morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks 
and by this that he practices divination. You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke them these words. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sack we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal still silver or gold from our, your Lord's house? Whichever of your servant is found with it shall die and will also be my Lord's servants. He said, let it be as you say, he who is found with it shall be my servant and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground and each man opened his own sack. And he searched beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes and every man loaded up his donkey and they returned to the city. When Judah, his brother, came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell down before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servant. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also, in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do this. Only the man in whose hand the cup has been found should be my servant. But as for you, go in peace to your father. Then Judah went up to him and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears. And let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have an old man and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. And you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again to buy a little grain, we said, we cannot go down if our youngest brother goes with us and then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our younger brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife has borne me two sons. One left me. And I said, surely he has been torn to pieces and I have never seen him since. If you take this one from me also, and harm happens to me, you will bring down my gray hairs to Sheol. Now therefore, as soon as I come to your ser servant, my father, and this boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in my boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die, and your servant will bring down the gray hairs of your servant to our father's sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boys of my father, saying, If I do not bring him back, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please 
let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Obviously, huge passages. Three long passages. Joseph seems to be testing his brothers, possibly even his father. And I think we should assume that Joseph's intentions are good. Joseph has been a complete man of integrity through this whole story. I don't think his plan is malicious. It seems a bit odd to us. But I think we should assume the best out of Joseph. These tests are ultimately accomplishing God's purpose. And part of those God's purposes is the reunification of this family, which we'll see later, probably next week. Joseph has a silver cup placed in Benjamin's sack with liege Benjamin to being taken by Joseph back to Egypt. Of course, the brothers know how devastated their father would be by the loss of Benjamin. They tore their clothes as a sign of extreme distress. These are changed men. These are the men a few chapters ago who are throwing their brother down a well, selling him into slavery and telling their dad he's been eaten by animals. These are not the same men. God is doing a work in this family. He's doing a work in these brothers. He's accomplishing good purposes. They tore their clothes as a sign of extreme distress. And Judah steps up and pleads with Joseph. Let's remember a little Judah's history. Remember, Judah was the one of ones that suggested that they throw Joseph in the well and sell him. That's not exactly a great brother. I mean, I've heard of some dysfunctional families and some mean sibling rivalry, but I've never heard of this before. So the same Judah who is now offering himself up for Benjamin was the same Judah that suggested Joseph be sold in slavery. He marries into a Canaanite family, which is forbidden. He takes a prostitute, gets her pregnant, calls for her execution, and finds out he's the one that got her pregnant. And God cut him to a quick. God brought him low. Judah is a changed man. We see the evidence of true heart repentance in Judah. God is changing the once proud, self-centered Judah to be a humble man who is bowing before his brother and offering up his life for his little brother. The past is recounted. We read, Please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go with his brothers. Judah was far from perfect. His confession wasn't perfect. He did leave out a few details. He didn't mention the part about, I threw my brother in the well. Speak the man he's talking to. But there's a change. There's a change in this man. He's been changed by the power of the grace of God. It seems that true change is taking place as Judah represents the Lord Jesus who would come some years later and offer himself up on the cross. This man Judah, God had chosen 
to be in the line of the tribe of Judah, which is the Lord Jesus. Remember Revelation 5, 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. It is the Lord Jesus. This, this, this whole story is pointing to the Lord Jesus. Remember Jesus' words in the Gospel of John. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Anytime we see in the Bible suffering for another, substitution for another, it is a witness about Jesus Christ who was the perfect suffering servant, a substitute for you and I and all who would call upon his name. Judah is not a savior, but he points to a savior, a perfect qualified savior who willingly offers himself as a substitute for people like you and I who deserve God's fury, but instead get God's grace. Judah was not historically a very good brother. But there's a change. And he is a pointer. He's a type of Jesus Christ. And I think this should be very convicting and reflective for us as Christians. I think the greatest verse in the Bible about love is 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. All of us, if honest, don't like to sacrifice much. And sometimes, if honest, we sacrifice to see what we can get. Like, I'll sacrifice for my family in hopes they make my weekend good. Our sacrifice, or lack thereof, may be a reflection that we've forgotten about the one who laid down his life for us, willingly. How often are you thinking about the love of the Lord Jesus as demonstrated on the cross? What are you doing to discipline your mind to think about the sacrificial love and death of the Lord Jesus? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And the response, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. I think this is a picture of Judah. He's a changed man. He's reflecting, not perfectly, but he's reflecting the sacrificial love of the Lord Jesus for us, his bride, his church. Is this something that captivates your mind throughout the day? And if not, why not? We're all about our rights, aren't we? I've got my rights. 
or I'm justified in thinking this way. Just think within your family, the people that have done you wrong and how easy it is to think it's okay for me to be bitter and resentful. Well, look at Joseph. Look at the Lord Jesus. Does the sacrificial love of the Lord Jesus flow out of your heart, mouth, and actions? Wouldn't it be sobering if the last 24 hours of our thought life was broadcast on the wall? Praise God we don't have the ability to do that. Would the love of Jesus be seen in the way you've spoken, thought, and acted? See, friends, everything comes back to the Lord Jesus. Although Judah didn't know all about Jesus, he knew very little, if anything at all. He understood the captivating grace of a God who was with them and didn't give him what he deserved. He was a changed man. His brothers seemed to be changed men. And this great story continues bearing witness to the Lord Jesus, just as the Lord Jesus said when he said, the scriptures bear witness about me. Friends, I know that you and I will never sacrificially love in a way that even pales in comparison to the Lord Jesus, but it should be our aim, especially to those who have sinned against us. It's easy to show sacrificial love to nice people, right? Especially the ones that appreciate it. But what about those who have hurt us and sinned against us? I am so thankful that the Lord Jesus on the cross didn't say, well, I suffered and died for all those perfect people. That's not what he said. And that's not what he did. He died for men and women like you and I that don't always love and live like we ought. And his persevering love continues. He's faithful, he's steadfast, abounding in love. And I hope the story of Joseph to us won't be just a, be like Joseph, be like Judah. It's a story that points us to the Lord Jesus. We see it all over this, we think of Joseph was brought low and raised up. That's exactly what happened to the Lord Jesus. He was brought low and raised up by the Father. Sometimes you and I need to be brought low to exalt Christ. And it stinks. It's not fun. We should pray that we see and understand and grow in the beauty of the sacrificial love of the Lord Jesus, that we trust in His work, and that our lives would reflect the sacrificial love as seen in the Lord Jesus at the cross. And remember, the God of Joseph, the God of Judah, the God of Jacob is a God that promises, I will be with you. He will help us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this story that shows us this great picture of a changed man in Judah. Lord, I thank you for this story who 
personifies a godly man in Joseph who it seems is just always did the right thing. Lord, I thank you that this story reminds us through the ebbs and flows and trials and troubles of life, you are accomplishing something redemptive. And Lord, we need to walk by faith. We don't always see it, and it's hard. Lord, most of all, I pray that in this story that we would see the beauty of our Savior who, while on the cross, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The amazing grace of the Lord Jesus should captivate us. And so I pray that in the power of your spirit, the love of Christ would well out of every pore of our heart, mind, and soul. And Father, for some of us, we're, we know that we have resentment for people, that we have some bitterness, and we know it's not right. And so, God, I pray that you would lead us to change in this area, that you would draw our hearts and minds to the one who suffered and died to demonstrate his love for us. Oh, Lord, that Christ would rule and reign in our hearts, our home, our church, and that the community at large would see Jesus leaking out of us in the way we love. Make this true of us, Lord. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.